pray that you would take our life, take our love, take our whole inmost being, and let it be glorifying to you. Speak to us now, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. When I was about 11 years old, my family went to the beach uh, for a week during summer vacation. And I spent most of that time on a raft riding waves. Um, but unknownst to me, or at least I wasn't paying attention on this particular day, there was a strong tow that took me out farther and farther away from the shore. And it took me on uh, beyond that last set of breakers. So I got scared. And I did what uh, most scared people do. I jumped off the raft. Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? But I wanted to get down and see if I could feel the, the ground because uh, feeling the bottom would somehow, you know, it would it'd make everything all right. But I was in way over my head, literally. So I jumped back up on the raft and started to think about some of my options. I really only had one left. And, uh, and that one was really hard for me to do because uh, a cry for help sort of um, collided with everything in me that I thought was male at that time. You know, it was an admission of weakness. It was a, a clear statement that I was weak and that I didn't have the strength or the resources to get through this situation. You ever been in that place? A place where you felt helpless? A place where you felt like you'd exhausted all your resources and you were drifting farther and farther away from the place that you wanted to be? And you're thinking through your options, and you're beginning to realize that there's only one option left. Well, that's where I was. I only had one option left, to call out for help. Now, there were some surfers about 20 yards from me, and so I called out, help. <laughs> now, the tone of my voice and picture, you could tell I wasn't fully in yet. I wasn't fully convinced, because maybe there was another option, right? Maybe the... The, the current could change and I drift in instead of out, or maybe the water would get shallow and I could walk back in, or maybe there was something else that could be done here, another option, just one more thing, no way. Help! Well, this time, uh, they heard me. They paddled out to be where I was, and one of them said something like, uh, hey, dude, what's going on? You know, <laughs> Something surfer intelligent like that, you know? So, uh, you know, asking for their help uh, to get back to shore was at first a struggle and then a relief, as, particularly as they grabbed hold of my raft and got me in front of a wave so that I made it back to shore. Then I got rid of the raft and took up suntanning. <laughs> now, our scripture lesson this morning, it's about rescue. Rescue for us, rescue for the world, rescue for the oppressed, for the lonely a new beginning for the poor. And uh, the best part about rescue is about living in the hope that it's possible. And for those who are rescued, a new beginning. Now, today is the second in a sermon series on previews of the kingdom of God. And we're looking at the way Jesus' miracles point us, give us previews to the kingdom. And this morning's message will both comfort us and it will challenge us. Because it, it'll comfort us by showing us that God's kingdom is here, and it's here to stay. But it will challenge us because it shows us that we're part of all of that. Now, in the passage that uh, we read earlier, this, uh, that Dana read for us, um, the, uh, Jesus has returned to his hometown, and he's returned to a celebrity's welcome. 
There have been rumors that have been flying all over the area. Is he the one? Is he the one who will finally rescue Israel? So as Jesus returns to his hometown, I imagine these banners strung across the street, right? Welcome home, Jesus. You know, Nazareth's own Jesus preaching at synagogue this Sabbath. Now the Sabbath, or the synagogue is packed. And Jesus stands to read this prophecy from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has sent me to proclaim uh, good news to the poor. He has sent me to preach freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, the year of the Lord's favor was the same thing as uh, the Jubilee year. And the Jubilee year was the year when, um, when all slaves were set free, when all property was returned to its original owner, when all debts were canceled, and when the land was laid to rest. The Jubilee year happened once every 50 years. And in most people's understanding, it had never been observed. It was widely understood that the one who came and read this prophecy from Isaiah 61 and then proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor, that that one was the Messiah. So all eyes are on Jesus. He sits and then he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your midst. Now, perhaps one of the greatest understatements in the whole Bible is what Luke says next. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. (laughs) Do you think? (laughs) Luke's a physician. He's a technical writer, you know. Jesus came to earth for many reasons. He came to ransom us from sin. He came to show us God's love in the flesh. But the primary reason that Jesus came to the earth was to announce the kingdom of God. And this was no kingdom in the sky by and by. You know, remember Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, where? On earth. That's your cue, right? On earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was talking about a new reality that uh, was arriving, God's kingdom breaking in to this present world, making all things new, new relationships with him, with one another, with our environment, Um, new new beginnings, a a world where where goodness and justice and righteousness and love are are the only way, and there is no other way. And this was no dream. It was no kind of conjured up idea. It it wasn't some new form of human optimism. Jesus was pointing to a new reality that had come. God's kingdom and God's reign, meaning that anywhere and everywhere God establishes his reign, there his kingdom is. In people's lives, in every act of love, in every marriage that gets healed, in every appeal for justice, in every good deed done in Jesus' name, in every person that's under the bondage of an addiction that gets set free. There, there is where God's rule and God's reign is being established. Through Jesus, God himself stepped in for the rescue for us all. Now there is an article this week in the Seattle Times, maybe some of you read it. It was about a three different schools in Sammamish that raised money to uh, set illegally enslaved people free who live in India. I don't know if you saw, anybody see that article? It was a great article. 
just tremendous. One of the coolest things about this article is that it was all student-led. But another really cool thing was that all this money that was raised was given to International uh, Justice Mission. That's a Christian organization. Our church works with them in Rwanda and Cambodia. And here all this money was given to, these, uh, to IGM. And in fact, uh, these kids raised enough money to set 120 people free in India. Isn't that amazing? They're free. But the cool thing is, too, that uh, kids' lives are being changed. One kid said they, she wants to be a lawyer. Another said she wants to work for a nonprofit organization. And still another said that uh, every time she goes to spend her money on something, she thinks there's a better thing that she could do with her money. Huh, try to teach that. <laughs> but the quote that jumped out at me uh, the most from this article was from the teacher that started it all. And he said, mission doesn't stand for missionary. It stands for rescue. See, the big idea of what Jesus is up to in our passage this morning is to point us to a new reality called the kingdom of God, which is broken into our present world. And the primary agenda of this new reality, God's kingdom, is to rescue us from the decay and the corruption of our present world. And whenever and wherever this new reality begins to establish itself, well, and it points to God's future kingdom, the ultimate kingdom, total redemption, total renewal, recreation, new heaven, new earth. And the kingdom of this world will be totally transformed into the kingdom of our God and our king. And that happens and is happening right now. The God, that, that future is breaking into our present world, not totally, not completely, but undeniably. Now, up to this, uh, so I just, I just want to ask you a couple of questions this morning. What are you afraid of? If Jesus were here right now this morning, what would you say to him that you're afraid of? Maybe it's the future. Maybe it relates to your marriage. Maybe it relates to the swine flu that's going around. Some of the fear that's related to that. What do you want Jesus to rescue you from? this morning. And do you know that God's kingdom isn't some future idea or concept, but that it has come here present now for you? Now up to this point in the passage, Jesus has gone over pretty well in his hometown, but all that's going to change in just a minute, because by making the crowd remember a time when God used Elijah and Elisha to bless the Gentiles, the non-Jews, even at a time when that meant overlooking the desperate and, and not doing anything about the desperate needs of the Jewish people at that time. What Jesus was telling his hometown crowd was that they weren't going to receive any favoritism. You see, uh, Jesus is saying that this new reality is going to bless the Gentiles and that many of his hometown uh, and childhood friends and neighbors Many of them were going to miss out. Well, that was the tipping point. That was the tipping point. And people in those days, they knew how to take care of troublemakers like Jesus. They'd take them out of a place like that, and they'd throw them off a cliff, or they'd stone them. So they drove Jesus to the end of the cliff, ready to shove him off. And then in another one of uh, Luke's great understatements, Luke says, but he, meaning Jesus, walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Now, in spite of Luke's gift for words, 
<laughs> there is a point here that just can't be missed. You see, uh, by, by, uh, G- by the, when the crowd took Jesus out to push him off the cliff, they could have ended his life and his ministry right there at that moment. But what Jesus, or what Luke points out for us is that miraculously, Jesus walks through that crowd. And the main point, the main point is simply this, that God's kingdom is here to stay and that it cannot be stopped. Now, you can push Jesus around. You can argue with Jesus. You can even take him to the end of the cliff. But you cannot put the God-man down until it's his time to be down. And then Easter reminds us that even then he rises again from the grave. The reality is that God's kingdom is here now. And it is here to stay. And it is not going away. It can't be stopped. Now there's a village that's about 14 miles outside of Phnom Penh called Andong. And uh, there's no electricity in this village, there's no running water, there's no sewers, there's no land that can be cultivated. And about two years ago, the government of Cambodia forcibly removed these people from their land, loaded them up in trucks, bulldozed uh, their their property and their homes uh, so that a developer could come in and build condos in that place. And then they loaded these people up and took them out to a field and plopped them there. That field's called Andong. Now, Lynn Ogata is a member of our church, and she's been living in Cambodia for a little over the year, for a little over a year, and her first visit to Andong was last December. And as she was walking through that village, she happened to see a mother rocking her, her young child in a cloth hammock. And uh, the child looked like a newborn, but it turned out that this child was over a month old. It had just been so sick, it hadn't developed. Well, Lynn returned to Andong in March, along with a Cambodian Christian friend who drove her there, and they were met by a young pastor who's been trained by a leadership training program our church uh, supports there and has been uh, providing. Uh, Abraham, his name, uh, uh, was uh, with them as they walked up and down the rows of these sort of uh, makeshift huts, and Abraham was explaining how God was calling him to be part of uh, what God was doing in this village and that uh, he and his family were moving in to live there. Now Abraham has built a church and Abraham has uh, just completed a project to provide sturdier huts for the neediest families there using funds, both of these things, uh, from uh, our particular partnership. Well, as they were talking, uh, they, Lynn happened to see this, this young mother again with her child. And so uh, she went into this woman's hut and they began to talk. And as they did, the young mother asked Lynn if Lynn would name her baby. Lynn was puzzled by that. But her Christian Cambodian friend explained that this child had been so sick that the parents hadn't named the child because they were afraid the child wouldn't survive. But now the mother was seeing these things going on in her village, and she had hope. So she was asking Lynn now to name the baby. Well, Lynn's uh, friend suggested the name Lazarus after the man who'd been, uh, who had died and uh, been laid away for three days before Jesus came and rose him back again uh, to life. Now, in a country where people have been robbed of the fair and right treatment which justice protects, where evil and genocide and forced child slavery seem to be the rule of the day, God's kingdom is breaking in. His new reality is establishing itself through people like Lynn, 
through people like Abraham, through the funding that comes from our church and other churches here in this area. God's kingdom is, is coming. It's breaking in. It's here to stay, and it cannot be stopped. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us much about God's ultimate future kingdom. Mostly, I think that's because, you know, we just can't get our minds around how big and how glorious and how profound that ultimate kingdom is going to be. But in Matthew 25, Jesus ties our entry into that ultimate kingdom to the jubilee theme of caring for the poor and the oppressed, the, the lonely and the forgotten ones, by asking or by saying, as you did to uh, the least of these, you did to me. Any of you remember that passage from Matthew 25? As you did to the least of these, you did to me. Now, uh, I really wish Jesus hadn't said that personally. <laughs> really. I mean, I, I was just hoping I could show up with a few personal references, you know. If I could find a couple, that'd be anybody interested in <laughs> And, um, or, or a test, you know, like, what are, the, what are the names of the Gospels? I could get around that one. I, but, uh, but what Jesus says, it, it's kind of scary that, that my life's actions would speak. And his point is simply this, that God brings his new order through us. We bring hope to the poor, to the oppressed, to the sick. We bring hope to our families, to our neighborhoods, to our businesses. We are the agents of God's hope. And the best way that I know how to do that is by, taking, by caring for people, by just noticing what's going on in their lives and then caring for them. I went to seminary at Fuller in Pasadena, California. It's a diverse community of people, and so it shouldn't have been a surprise to me that I, when, uh, one afternoon I felt a tug on my arm and uh, turned around to meet a guy by the name of Tom who just wanted to talk and talk and talk. And we talked for quite a long time. Well, a couple days later, I noticed Tom uh, standing by the steps of the library, catching people as they were coming out. Hi, my name's Tom. What's your name? Hi, my name's Tom. What's your name? I'm embarrassed to say that I avoided Tom uh, most days. But uh, one Sunday, I was at church, we were in the patio, and uh, I heard from behind me, Hi, my name's Tom. What's your name? Well, preparing for a long conversation, I turned around, Hi, Tom, I'm Rich. And then Tom asked me to do this really weird thing. He said, Unbutton your shirt. Were you serious? What happened to the conversation? He said it again, unbutton your shirt. Well, I thought, well, you know, it seemed safe and seemed like the right thing to do. So I started to unbutton my shirt, and as I did, he unbuttoned his shirt. And then he opened it up to show me his chest, his badly deformed chest. And then he pointed at my chest. And he said, do you know how lucky you are? You are so lucky. I was speechless because I really didn't know how lucky I was. And then he asked that I would never forget this moment. And then he asked if I would hug him. Now this was going to look really bad. Two guys with their shirts unbuttoned in the middle of the patio of the church. <laughs> One of them, an intern, works with youth. 
but it seemed like the right thing to do. And so we hugged and hugged, <laughs> and he wouldn't let go. And I remember just feeling how awkward that felt and looking around the patio to see if anybody was around, you know, that I'd have to go back and explain what was going on. But as we hugged, this amazing thing started to happen. I, I just started to give in to it. And I began to realize that God was using Tom to teach me to care. Now let me ask you, who got rescued in that story? You see, I thought I was rescuing Tom. I was just going to sit down with Tom and have a conversation and make his day. But Tom ended up rescuing me by breaking me of the superficiality that had blocked me from being able to care. Turns out when you rescue, you get rescued. So our passage this morning, it's all about rescue. Rescue for us, rescue for our world, rescue for the oppressed, the forgotten, the overlooked, and the poor. The best part about rescue is living in the hope that it's possible. And for the rescued, they get a new beginning. So what about you this morning? What are you scared of? What do you want to be rescued from? And where is God calling you to be part of his rescue operation?